Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. We are finishing up our series called Patterns today. And uh, this morning, we're going to kind of finishing off by talking about a, a pattern that we see uh, instituted in Genesis and, and all the way through the, the Old and New Testament, all the way to Revelation, basically about rest. Um, I was, on, on New, Year's, New Year's Eve day, I went for a run. And I went from my house and I went out on the canal and... and uh, then, then kind of ran on, on some gravel, which uh, leads and connects up with the Virginia Trail. So I ran down close to, close to downtown, and then I was running back. And on my way back, I had crossed Standiford and was kind of on uh, kind of a, just a gravel trail between, between two neighborhoods. And, and, and I saw from a distance as I was running, I saw this, this guy in a bicycle and uh, the bike was laying down, the guy was on the ground, and it looked like he was maybe kind of half intertwined with the bicycle. And so as I was, I was getting there and I was thinking, you know, I don't know if this guy's hurt or what's going on or what happened, what the story is. So I got closer and as I got closer, I saw, I could see it a little clearer that his legs were kind of intertwined in the frame of the bike and uh, he was just kind of laying there in the middle of the, of the trail. And and uh, I noticed he was, he was not a small guy. Um, he, he also was like wearing this, long sleeve shirt and like overalls, like coveralls. And, and, and so it didn't really look like he was, he was like competitive biking. Um, and, and so I got closer and he was just laying there. And as I got like right, right, kind of like right, right over him, I saw he was wearing sunglasses. One lens was out on the side and, and one was still there. And his eye was, eyes were closed. Well, I, I assume both eyes were closed. But anyway, um, his eye was closed. And, 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 I, and I, I thought, you know, I need to help this guy if something happened. Because I don't know, maybe he fell and I don't know what happened. So I kind of said, hey. I said, hey, buddy, are, are you okay? And no response. And I kind of said it again. I said, hey, hey, uh, uh, are you okay? And uh, nothing. And, and uh, so... So the way he was laying there, his legs were intertwined, so his, his one knee was kind of sticking up in the air, so I kind of grabbed his, his knee, and I said, hey, hey, are, are you okay? And all of a sudden, I see one eye open, and, I, and he's laying there, and he goes, yeah, I, I see you. I was like, okay, good, he can see. Um, and, and I said, uh, are you okay? Can I, can I help you? Do, you? do you need help? And he's quiet for a second, and then he says, no, I'm, I'm just getting some sun. Thank you. <laughs> getting some sun? <laughs> like, I don't know if you know how to get sun. Like, I don't know that's the way you do it. But, but he's like, no, I'm just getting some sun. And I was like, oh, okay. I go, can I, can I get you anything? Can I call somebody? No. No, I'm good. I'm just, just resting. Like, Okay. I said, okay, you sure, you sure I can't do anything for you? He's like, no, no, I'm good. So I, I moved on. And, uh, you know, we're talking about rest today, and I think lots of people have different notions of what rest is. Apparently, I would say he was Sabbathing. Um, I think he was like, that was his Sabbath. He just falls over on the trail, and that's where he is, and that's, he's resting. That is his time of rest. 
Um, I mean, you know, different people do it different ways, but um, it, was, it was kind of funny and interesting. But, but this morning, we're, we're, again, we're looking at this idea of this pattern, this, this theme that God gives us of rest. And, it, and it's pretty interesting because I think the way we think of rest is that rest is primarily for us. And, and, and how we function. And we, you know, we, we talk about things like um, catching up on our rest. Uh, you know, as, as, as the song goes, you know, we're working for the weekend to, so that we can rest and play and, and do the things we wanna do and, and all those things. But, but it's interesting how our, our concept of rest has kind of, uh, kind of hijacked a little bit of, of really what God instituted in, in Genesis uh, chapter two. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Genesis chapter two. And uh, we're gonna kind of trace this in, in three different, kind of three different main passages throughout the Bible and, and what God does. But in Genesis chapter two, we catch up with, with the, the narrative where, where God has, has done all these days of creation, you know, on the first day, the second day, third day, fourth day, sixth day, and we get to the sixth day, and, and the sixth day just has been described, and, 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 and chapter one ends with, and there was evening and there was morning, <clears throat> the sixth day. And so in chapter two, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so as, as we see and as we read in Genesis chapter two, the first few verses is that God finished creation. He, he completed the task that he set out to do. And when it says that God rested on the seventh day, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat, which we get Sabbath from. And Shabbat means to cease or to rest or to stop. And so it says basically God stopped what he was doing and it says, and it says he rested because his work was done. And then it goes on, and it actually says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, which those, that's, that's, that's significant, and we want to we be coming back to that because it's important. It says God blessed that day of rest that he had, and really a blessing is basically invoking some kind of divine favor. So if you, if you say God bless you to someone, you're saying, um, I'm asking that God would have favor toward you, that God would bless you, that there would be his favor, that he would show his face upon you and, and he, would, he would move in you in a, in, a, in a positive way. And so it says God blessed the seventh day, that some kind of invoking of his favor, divine favor on that day. And then it says, and he made it holy. And, and to make something holy is to set it apart or, or there's special treatment surrounding something that's holy. And so it's that God, God found great favor in that seventh day and then he also set it apart and made it significant, different than all the other days. And what's interesting about the narrative and the text in, in chapter two, verses one through three, where it talks about that seventh day, when you look back to the first six days, each day ends with the same thing. And I just read it, picking up in, in the end of chapter one. And it says, thus on the sixth day, there was morning and there was evening. And you go back to each day, and it says on the fifth day, there was morning and evening. And that's the way, that's the, the, the way that, that this pattern in, in, verse, in, in the six days of creation, how each day ends. And when it says it's morning and evening, it's the idea of completion 
that this day is done. Everything's done. So on the, the sixth day, when, when, he creates, when he creates, you know, the, 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 the animals and, and the, 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 the land mammals and the, the animals that move on the land, it says, and thus there was evening and morning on the sixth day. And, and so he's saying that that's it. That's done. We're done creating animals. There's no more creating than animals. They're done. And, and so that idea is that that day is completed. That we don't continue to live in that day, but the results of that day, but, but that day is completed. Yet on the seventh day, it breaks the pattern and doesn't say, and there was morning and evening on the seventh day. The, the, the way the, the, the text ends on the, on the seventh day, it just simply says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done. And then it just moves on. And, and so really what we're seeing and why that's significant is that the fact that morning and evening is missing on the seventh day means that this idea of rest, whatever God is saying here, what he's instituting is something that exists in perpetuity. It's something that continues to go. It's something that we continue to live in. We live in, in fact, God's rest is the context for the lives that we, the lives we live. And so that's the idea that, that this is not just something that was finished, God rested and then, you know, hop to it, move on, we're done with that. But there's something significant and, and we, what we see in scripture is rest, God's rest is carried all the way through to the point that Jesus returns and we are living in the presence of God for eternity. In fact, the verbiage for that is that you enter into God's rest. And so there's these bookends in the Bible about God taking a day of rest and then entering into God's rest as human beings. So if you jump down uh, to verse 15 in chapter two, <clears throat> um, what, what we see between verse three and verse 15 is, is, is God basically talking about the, the setup of the garden and, and what God created uh, for um, the flourishing of life. And then we get to verse 15. And look what, look what it says. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden and then he goes on and he talks about the tree of life and he, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he talks about, then he goes in and says, it's not good for man to just work alone. And he, and he, and he creates a woman. But, but what's interesting about this is verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And when we hear that, we think of it this way. We think God put him in the garden to work. We think, okay, God kind of said, okay, Adam, here you go, now get to it, get working. Like, like kind, of, kind of, you know, like no dilly-dallying, just get going. I got a lot of stuff, you've got a huge list of things you need to take care of and deal with, so get working. And, and we think that because like if, if I think that, that I take my son and put him in his bedroom and say, clean your room, I'm saying, get to work. But, but you see, the interesting thing about the, this verse where it says that God put the man in the garden, the, 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 the Hebrew word that we, that we read as put right there is actual nuach, which means to rest or to be at rest or to remain, to be settled or get settled in. And so probably a better rendering of that, that verse would be, the Lord God took the man and rested him or placed him at rest in the garden. 
in order to work it and to keep it. Which I think is interesting because when you think about God's creation and then God rests, and then the first thing he does with mankind is he takes Adam and he rests him in the garden and then kind of shows him around and settles him in and says, from this point, I want you to work and keep the garden. Recognizing the divine rhythm that God is, 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 is setting. And, and so before Adam actually went to work, he rested. And I think there's some implications of this that we'll come back to later. But just to think about this for a second. God places Adam in the garden. He rests him in the garden. And then he says, okay, now I want you to get to work. So the question that, that we'll come back to and that maybe just get your minds thinking a little bit right now is, is how do you see rest in your life? Do you work so that you can rest as a reward? Or do you work from your rest? There's a pretty significant difference there. Do we rest after we've, we've, we've exhausted ourselves or do we rest so that we have the energy to do work well? And I think in our culture, in our society, it's pretty common that, that we, 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 we want to catch up on our rest. We don't rest in preparation. We tend to rest to repair what's been done. And I, and I don't think that's the picture. I don't think that's the, the pattern that God sets up for mankind in the garden as he takes Adam and he says, I'm, I'm going to set you at rest here and then you can work. Because typically, and I don't know about how it works for you, but typically I do my best work when I'm working from rest rather than my best work when I'm really tired and I just am, am dying to get some rest. We'll come back to that in, in a little bit. Um, Turn over to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter five. You can turn to either or both of those. I'll read those. They're, they're mirror passages, almost mirror passages of, of the 10 commandments. And uh, we're gonna look at the, the commandment that God gives to Moses about the Sabbath. Because again, here in Genesis 2, he doesn't call it the Sabbath, even though the, the Hebrew word that God rested is Shabbat, which we get Sabbath from. But, but Exodus 20, verse 8, and, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, they both talk about the Sabbath. So Exodus 20, uh, starting in verse 8, we, we read what, what God says to Moses about the Sabbath. And here's what he says. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy." And then jumping over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or make or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner 
who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now, this is where it kind of changes a little bit from the Exodus passage, because in the Exodus passage, the next verse says, for the Lord created the, the, the world and everything in it in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. But in Deuteronomy 5, instead of looking back to the creation narrative, it looks back to the Exodus. And it says in verse 15, it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we've got these two passages and, and there's a lot of things that these passages have in common. So Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, in both passages, as, as God is revealing his desire for mankind, he says, the Sabbath, he, he, he says it this way, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. It is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Both of them say it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Notice that in, in our vernacular and the way we, we talk about this idea of Sabbath and resting, we talk about, yeah, it's my day of rest. Don't we talk about it that way? We say, yeah, my day of rest. But, but, what, but what we see in scripture is it says it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In other words, a Sabbath that belongs to the Lord God. And so that establishes what the Sabbath, that it's something that is for God primarily. Both passages say that six days you're gonna work and, and one day you rest. Both passages reference Genesis 2 where it says God blessed and made the Sabbath holy, except the way they reference that in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it says, remember the Sabbath rather than bless the Sabbath. God blessed the Sabbath. He says to remember the Sabbath, and then God made it holy. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, it says, keep it holy. So, so, so God blessed the Sabbath. We're called to remember the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath holy. We're called to keep the Sabbath holy. And, 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 so, and so when you think about the Sabbath, uh, in, 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 in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish faith, the Sabbath was Friday evening to Saturday evening. That was the Sabbath. And so if, if you are in Israel, in let's say Jerusalem, or, or in a city in, in Israel on, on Friday, you'll find that Fridays are, are very busy days because people are, are hurriedly Repair, preparing for what lies ahead. The reality that from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, they're not gonna be doing any grocery shopping. They're not gonna be out and about. They're not gonna be doing regular activities because that is the Sabbath and they won't be doing anything. What you'll find when, when the sun sets on Friday, you'll find most Jewish families in their homes remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy. And they're, they're in their homes, they're sharing meals together, they're singing together. If you walk through a neighborhood like that you, you, and the windows are open, you, you may even hear families singing together like that. And so, so there is this preparation every week to recognize the Sabbath day. And so, and so in, Genesis, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we have two foundational reasons why God instituted the Sabbath and what it's for. And in Exodus 20, after all of the common things that it says with, with Deuteronomy 5, it, it says that, that God created the, the world in six days and everything in it, and on the seventh day he rested. 
And really what, what we're seeing is that in Exodus 20, it says that the reason we, we, we remember the Sabbath is to recognize and remember that time belongs to God and not me. That's one of the core reasons for recognizing the Sabbath is, is to recognize that God is the master of time. Time belongs to God, not me. It's actually similar to tithing. See, we're, we, we tithe because we give 10% to God of the 100% that we make. And the reason scripture says that we give that 10% to God is to remind us that all of it belongs to God. But in the act of tithing, we are remembering and we're facing a little bit of inconvenience so that we are in our weekly rhythm reminded that everything I have belongs to God. And it's the same thing with the Sabbath, that one day out of seven days, we are inconvenienced so that we remember that it's not just my time, that all the time that I have actually belongs to God. Isn't it interesting how time has a way of stressing everyone out? Like when you think about, you know, I've got this much time to do all of these things. Everybody has all of these, these lists of things that they've got to accomplish. And we get overwhelmed with all this stuff. We think, I just don't have enough time. I need more time. And we start to think that we are the masters of our own time. And what Sabbath does, it reminds us that we aren't actually the masters. And so really every seventh day we renounce our autonomy and affirm God's dominion over time. Keeping the Sabbath is accepting the kingdom and the sovereignty of God. And, 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 so, and so then in Deuteronomy 5 we see the other thing that the Sabbath does is he says for some reason he references that at once you were a slave in Egypt but God delivered you by his mighty hand. And so really that is to remind us that not only is God the master of time and, and all the time belongs to God and he gives it to us, but also that all of the things that we are over, that we rule over, um, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that pattern of, of godly rule and dominion, our dominion mandate, and that we've got two avenues to go through. We can either image God's rule in our lives and the way we do things, or we can image beastly rule. And, and, and so, and so what, what, what God is saying in, in the Sabbath is that we remember that all that we rule over, all that he's placed us in stewardship over, the dominion mandate, we've got to always recognize that we are not actually the rulers of everything, but we are ruling and having dominion on God's behalf. And we are supposed to image him in the way we rule. We are not God, but God is God. And so really the purpose of the seventh day rest, the Sabbath that God talks about, is, is that the Sabbath is meant to inconvenience us by interrupting our rule so that we remember that God is the master of time and everything we own and that answers to us belongs to God as well. You see, the Sabbath is more than just the idea of doing, having a little rest, a little rejuvenation, doing something I enjoy to fill me up. It's actually to take our attention or our focus and recognize what God created us for. In remembering the Sabbath, we reflect God and we participate with him in his work throughout human history. And so we see this, this pattern and this development and this idea of, of what is rest. What is this seventh day rest that begins in Genesis 2 and is developed as God reveals himself to his people 
Jump over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11 catches up with Jesus in his earthly ministry. And uh, what's interesting is the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Israel always tried to trip Jesus up and get him into trouble. And one of the, the, the main points of contention was they would always try to catch him breaking the Sabbath. And so the way Sabbath had, had grown and developed since God gave those, those reasons and commands in the Ten Commandments is that, that probably starting from good motivations to make sure that we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, all of these rules and laws were, were made to keep the Sabbath separate and, and, and remember the Sabbath. But as human beings do, characteristically, we make things far worse than they actually are. <laughs> And we make things burdensome rather than make things joyful and light. And so over time, they, they got all of these rules and laws about the Sabbath that actually made the Sabbath not really about focusing on God and recognizing God as the master of time, but became a checklist of rules for people to point out who is and who's not breaking the Sabbath. And, and so that's where we land in the ministry of Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 11 uh, starting in verse 25, we catch up with, with Jesus and, and how he answers and how he sets the stage for this idea of the Sabbath and rest. And so in verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, at that, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus sets up in this moment his authority. He says he is unique among human beings because he is God in flesh, and he has all authority. All things have been handed over to him by his father. So Jesus is the authority in this context. Then he goes on in verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus deals with this idea of Sabbath and rest Notice he says, rest. He talks about the Sabbath and he talks about what the Sabbath is for. And so really right here, after Jesus sets up his authority, he basically does three things. He gives an invitation, he invites them into an experience and he sets out a process. 
And so the invitation is simply this. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the invitation. Come to me for your rest. So so who is the invitation for? Well, it's everyone who's tired and who is not experiencing rest. How many people have ever been tired or exhausted or been like, I just need a break? If, If you've not been in that situation, if you're like, yeah, no, I've never experienced fatigue, or exhaustion, or tiredness, then you're like, you're like a, a cyborg or a terminator. And obviously you've come here from the future to warn Sarah Connor, but that's not appropriate right now because we're talking about the Bible. Anyway, um, so, so, so here's, here's the thing, is that Jesus says anyone who's tired or not experiencing rest, come to me, that's the invitation. And notice that he says, he says that, that I will give you rest. In Genesis 2, 15, it says that God rested Adam or set Adam at rest in the garden. And again, that's that Hebrew word nuach, which has to do with being rested or give rest or to remain somewhere. In Matthew 11.1, 1, which, which, was, which was written in the Greek, Jesus says, I will give you rest. The word for rest there is a Greek word, uh, anapao. And what, what, that, what that's translated is, is to cause to rest or to give rest or to remain. So what Jesus says is, is come to me and I will give you rest. You can remain in me. It's the same sense that Genesis 2.15 carries with it, that God rested Adam in the garden. Jesus says, come and rest in me. And so what Jesus is saying there is that he is the embodiment of God's rest. Because when, when God placed Adam in the garden, he placed him in the midst of his rest before the fall. And what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 is he says, I am that rest. And so Jesus is saying that rest is not necessarily a time of week or, or a thing that you do or don't do Rest is found actually in a relationship with me. And and, and so he says, this invitation, come to me, all you who are tired and burdened, and I will give you rest. Then he says, here's the experience I want you to take on. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And, and you see, when we, we think about this, we think of a yoke in, in the sense of like old school plowing a field, a yoke that, that, that puts ox together or something like that. But a yoke in that day, and what, what Jesus was talking about was a yoke, was basically a rabbi's way of teaching the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They were that rabbi's set of teachings basically on how to be human, how God designed us to be human. And, and there was, it was his teachings. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke, he says, take my way of life, my way of teaching. This is, I'm teaching you how to live as humans, as God designed, as God intended. And you see, a yoke was a way to shoulder the weight that we experience in life. How to shoulder marriage, how to shoulder prayer, money, sex, relationships, conflicts, resolutions, government, all of those things, a yoke was how to carry and handle the weight of walking through those things. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. 
That's the experience that he wants. He doesn't want us to experience other teachings of yokes because our culture has a yoke that it wants to put upon us. Our, our society wants to do that. All kinds of government, all kinds of things want, to, want us to abide by their yoke, their way of functioning and carrying the weight of, of the world around us. But Jesus says, take my yoke. You see, there was, there was three goals of a disciple who have followed a rabbi. And they can be kind of sim- simplified down to be with, become like, and do what? Do what they would do. So, so be with that rabbi, become like that rabbi, and do what that rab- rabbi did. But that's really what following Jesus is, isn't it? That's what taking the yoke of Jesus is, is to be with Jesus, have a relationship with him, understand him, learn about him, know him, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, start to act like him, and do what he did. Do what Jesus does. Do what he would do if if he was here right now with the situations facing you. See, Jesus says in verse 30 that that my my burden is easy and and, and I have a a light yoke. He says that, that it's different than what, it's not to burden or weigh you down or put all kinds of pressure on you, it's actually to free you, which is interesting because back in Deuteronomy 5, one of, the, one of the reasons for the Sabbath is to celebrate our freedom from slavery. And what do we celebrate in the death and resurrection of Jesus? Our freedom from sin. And so Jesus says, hey, take my yoke upon you. That's the experience that I want you to have. And then thirdly, there's a process. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then he says, learn from me and you will find your rest. He says, learn from me. And so he says, I want you to come to me, bring me what you have, and I want you to trade out the yoke that you carry for my yoke. And then he says, I want you to learn from me. I want you to become like me. I want you to listen and I want you to take my way of life. You see, life is simplified and unified through the person of Jesus Christ. This is actually the process of, of, of becoming less like me and reflecting the fallen nature and the culture around me and becoming more like Jesus and reflecting the image of God. That's what this process of rest that he's talking about is. You see, he invites us into this process that doesn't end. It's not like one day you say, okay, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going to rest in you and then I'm going to do everything else. It's kind of like going back to Genesis 2 where there's no morning and evening on the seventh day that Jesus calls us into a perpetual state of rest, that there's no morning or evening on the rest that Jesus calls us into, that he calls us to live in that way. And so, so he goes on, Jesus, then right after he gives this invitation to come and find rest and he and explains how to become more like him, then immediately after that we see in the text, Jesus is walking through a grain field on the Sabbath with his disciples and that's where the Pharisees jump on him and say, look, you're doing it all wrong. And Jesus says, and, and he says a very interesting thing. He says in verse six of chapter 12 of Matthew, he says, I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here, and he's talking about himself. That he is here in the flesh, which is more significant than the temple, more significant than their laws about the Sabbath. 
And then he says in verse eight, he says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm telling you, when Jesus said that to the Pharisees, it would make them go nuts. They'd be like, they would fall off their bikes and they'd be tangled up and their glasses would be broken. Like that's them on the trail at this point when Jesus says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. They're like on the ground. And, and, and so, so Jesus says that, but, but basically what he says is that the, the Sabbath is meant to help us remember God's sovereignty and our further rest, which can be experienced in part right now. But the rest that God has created for us in the future, that eventually we will enter in to our, the rest of God that he has prepared for us, for all of those who have come and surrendered their lives to Jesus. Jesus basically says, I am that rest. In me is the rest you so desperately seek. So we see this pattern of rest. We see this idea of rest and Sabbath. And, and it's not just about me getting some playtime in or me getting rejuvenated or me relaxing. Part of it is fulfilling and and refilling and rejuvenating, but the core of God's rest and the core of Sabbath is our attention to God and recognizing that, that all of this isn't ours and that we are God's stewards and we are to be like him. And so here's some implications that I've been wrestling with over the last couple months as I've been working through this. First implication is this, um, to rest or from rest. I mentioned this at the beginning. God, God rests Adam in the garden and then he goes to work. Human physiology has found this, that we cannot make up for lost rest. Like when, 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 you, when we say these things like, well, I gotta go to bed early tomorrow night because I haven't gotten any sleep with this, this last week and so I need to catch up on my sleep. It is impossible for a human being to catch up on their sleep. Once we have missed sleep, whatever detriment that is, that's done. We don't catch up on our sleep. It's impossible. It is humanly impossible to catch up on your sleep. Yet we, we think like that, and, and so we do things like that, and, and we work to get rest as a reward. We say, oh, oh I'll re- I'm too busy. I will rest when I'm done, and we're working from a place of tiredness or exhaustion. And, and, and the reality is that that we don't do our best work when we're tired. In fact, a person who's training, I mean, an athlete who's training, they rest is really important to prepare to train because if you train tired, that's when you get injured. In the same way that as human beings, when we work without rest, that's when we get injured. And so, so for me, what I've realized is looking at the life of Jesus even, nighttime for Jesus was a time that he rested and he focused on God and he recognized God's authority and plan for him in order to prepare for the next day's work. In fact, there's a scenario in the Gospels where, where Jesus has been ministering all day in this town and there's all these people and they, it, it gets dark and it's late into the night when they finish And there's still people waiting to see Jesus. Jesus disappears and the disciples are all freaking out because they don't know where Jesus is. Finally, Jesus shows up and Peter's like, Jesus, where have you been? We've got so much to do. Jesus was resting. Not necessarily to recover from the day, but to prepare for the next day. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, no, we're not gonna stay here. We're going to the next town because that's where I'm supposed to be. 
Jesus wasn't driven by the tyranny of the urgent. He knew what he was called to do and he could think straight because of his focus. So what I've realized for my life, and I don't know if you relate to this, but I realize that, that I tend to work backwards. I work hard and oftentimes don't work my best and then I rest to recover and then I start over again. And for me, what God has convicted me of is that I need to think differently about how I rest and work. That, 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 that what I need to do is I need to, to work from a place of rest. And frankly, everyone will be better for it. Because when I show up at work and I interact with people and I'm tired and I'm exhausted, people have a bad experience. But when I show up at work and interact with people from rest, it's a whole different situation. The question for you to wrestle with is this. Do you work so that you can rest or do you rest so you can work? Is rest in your life primarily reparation to repair the damage that's been done? Or is rest primarily in your life to prepare for what's next? Second implication is the twofold purpose of the Sabbath. The, the idea that, that the Sabbath is to recognize that God is the master of time. And this isn't my time. And secondly, to recognize that God has freed us to live in his rest. And so that all that I have, all that I have rule over, all of that really is God's. And to remind me that it doesn't belong to me in the first place. Is there anything that you do on a weekly rhythm that is in recognition of God's ownership of your time and his sovereignty over those you care for and the stuff that you own? See, we tend to practice Sabbath in the church, in the Christian church. We kind of practice the idea of the Sabbath as playtime, as my playtime, as my time to do something other than the job that I do. And that's good, but it's not what God called us to do. See, the question that I was faced with is, is, is there anything that I do weekly that focuses me on remembering and recognizing God is master of my time? and all that I own. And I realized that while I spend time with Jesus during the week, while I make sure that I do get some rest, there is nothing in my weekly rhythm that inconveniences me to a point that I remember and I recognize that all of my time is God's. And so I don't even know if it's possible in our culture, in this place, to go evening to evening, completely lose that day. <laughs> But what I do know is that I'm not exactly you know, living in obedience to Jesus when I don't take some time that inconveniences me to cause me to remember that this belongs to God. Third thing, third implication, and the last one is this. It's, it's that whole process that, that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11. Come, take, and learn. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, is to travel through life at his side, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life. And you, you might respond to that by saying, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm tired. I'm still tired. I get it because I am too. But here's the thing, if you want to experience the rest of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. That's what being a disciple is. It's adopting their lifestyle. And Jesus wasn't driven by his list and tyranny of the urgent. 
Jesus was driven by the will of his father. And so Jesus rested in preparation for what God laid out before him the next day. See, our frustration, our exhaustion, our disappointments all come from the same root. It's shouldering the weight of life, following anyone or anything but Jesus, carrying other yokes. And so what Jesus says is, come to me with your worst. Take what I have to offer, my forgiveness, my new life, my transformation, and learn from me who you are and what I've secured for you. That's what Jesus calls us into. Have you entered into the rest of Jesus today? I wanna invite the prayer team forward right now and I'm gonna close this in prayer. And My challenge to you this week is to wrestle with those implications. My guess is that there's some, there's some things you need to change in your life. I realized there was a number of things I needed to change in my life. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your love. God, how you work in and through us. Father, I thank you that, that you understand us better than we can understand ourselves and, ourselves. and I pray, God, that you would help us to see the rhythm and patterns of our life the way that you have designed them. God, that we would let go of the things we hold on to so tightly and God, we would enter into the rest that you have for us and God, that we could experience that now. Father, that we would let go of the things that, that we think are so important. And God, that we would recognize you as the master of our time. That God, you've number, numbered our days and we have exactly what you've given us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to make choices to live in a rhythm where we regularly remember you as master of time and your sovereignty and your kingdom around us. So Father, I thank you for your love for us and how deeply you move in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.